Welcome to the Fit Vegan Podcast, the show where we help you optimize your health, fitness, and mindset on a whole food, plant-based lifestyle. My name is Maxim Siguain. I am a former triathlete, powerlifter, bodybuilder, and basketball player, and I've been vegan for over nine years. I'm also the founder and CEO of Fit Vegan Coaching, which has helped over 500 vegans from 20 different countries to completely transform their bodies and their health. I'm excited for you to hear today's episode. Let's get into the show. All right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fit Vegan Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest that I'm really excited to record with. We have Rip Esselstein. How are you doing today? I'm doing really, really well. Thanks for having me on the uh, on your show. Yeah, well, excited to chat with you. And just for the people, in case they're not familiar with you, which I highly doubt, uh, but you're the founder of Plant Base, uh, Plant Strong, and Engine Two. You're the host of the uh, Plant Strong podcast. The author of Plant Strong and Engine Two books, so diet, seven day rescue diet cookbook, are featured in, in Forks Over Knife, which is ultimately where where I heard of you the first time. That basically made me go vegan. You're the executive producer for for Game Changers, and you have an incredible athletic background through swimming and, and uh, triathlon on a world class level. And obviously, we're a firefighter at one point. I know you, you're retired, so I'm very excited to to chat with you today. My pleasure. <laughs> yeah. So uh, obviously, I haven't seen the Force of a Knife in a really long time. Um, basically, since the first time I saw it, that's the last time I watched it because that sealed the deal for me. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of curious, uh, just an overview of like, what made you go vegan or originally and what was so appealing to you? Cause I know the story of when you're in the firehouse, but there had to be something before that. Yeah. You know, uh, before I answer that question, uh, I think you need to annually every year, you need to rewatch forks over knives. <laughs> Perfect. I will rewatch it. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, it truly is amazing what that documentary has been able to do you know it came out in 2011 i think it was may 2011 and it single-handedly up until the game changers uh yeah. moved moved the needle i think more than anything else to help get people uh if not if not diving in at least you know conversing about uh about the power of plants and you know the transformation that's experienced in this country to me since i wrote uh my first book the engine two diet in 2009 to where we are now in 2022 is it's really, I mean, to me, it's nothing short of phenomenal. And I think that, you know, we're, we truly are reaching a tipping point to where the plant-based lifestyle, plant-based foods, you know, plant-based for the planet, plant-based for, to raise our level of, you know, kindness and compassion is, um, is becoming more and more mainstream. Uh, yeah. so, you know, as we talked before we jumped on here live, this is, I think what, what you're doing, what I'm doing, you know, what you mentioned their names, Dr. Clapper, Chef AJ, you know, I mean, the, the list is becoming just phenomenally large now, but what we're all doing collectively to help people see that this is a lifestyle that has so many win, 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 wins that you know, we want you to see what we see because not only your health, but the health of, and the existence of this planet depends upon it. Um, yeah. but so that being said, how did I get into this and why, you know, why am I so passionate? 
um, you know, it all goes back to my, the work of my father and the, uh, the really the groundbreaking revolutionary research that he did at the Cleveland clinic back in 1984, when, when this was considered, you know, nothing, you know, short of quackery, you know, oh my God, you mean to tell me that you can change what you eat and it might have an effect on, you know, uh, the, uh, fatty lesions and the cholesterol deposits and the blockages in your arteries come on there's no such there's no such connection and you know today we know yes there is such a connection and it, it is as profound as you know smoking cigarettes and uh, and lung cancer uh so you know my father is a man that i've always cherished and adored and respected to the moon and back and so uh, i was first in line when he started his research so he was a surgeon and so he, every, every other Monday, he took uh, off of doing surgery to do this research. And he started it, like I said, in 1984. And, you know, it was ongoing with these initial 22 patients until he retired from surgery in, I believe it was 2000 and 2001, 2002. And so for almost, you know, 15, 16 years, he held these patients by the hand and uh, to ensure that not only they succeeded, but to let them know that he, he had their backs and he would be there to support them through thick and thin. Um, and it's spectacular what happened to these original 22 patients, but to see what happened to these walking dead and the fact that, you know, they, they didn't die within a year as, you know, their expert cardiologist had, had, basically told them what happened and they were alive five years later, 10, 15, 20 years later, all because of the power of a whole food plant-based, you know, lifestyle and what that can do to halt the progression of this disease that was killing them in many cases, you know, reverse it. And, um, and, and it gave their, gave them their lives back. I mean, I don't think anybody listening to this podcast can understand how sick these patients were. I mean, these men, for example, they were on cardiac disability. They were in wheelchairs because if they would try and stand up, they, the angina pains were so hard, you know, intense in their chests that a couple of these guys, they had to put nitroglycerin paste on their chest just to shave in the morning because this motion right here was too much for their hearts. Wow. And so imagine a year and a half, two years on the program, and now you're out of your wheelchair. You have no more angina pains. You're playing tennis, you're dancing, you're walking the malls with your wife. You're, you're, you know, um, one of them was an avid hunter and he went hunting, but he never, you know, shot anymore. But I mean, just imagine, you know, the kind of impact that that could have on your life. So I got to hear the stories. I witnessed it. Um, and, um, and so that was my, you know, kind of introduction to this whole lifestyle was my father and his research with these walking dead patients of his. Yeah. And, and so it, it was a very, it was a very long study. Like at one point mm -hmm. where you're like, I'm going to do this also, was it when he first originally started the, the study? Cause I'm sure your dad kind of started at the same time as he started the study for his transition. Oh yeah. No, when he, when he started with his, these original patients in, 1984 that's when he looked at my mother and he said Anne, if 
if I'm going to ask these patients to do this, then I think it's really important that we do this as well. So we understand exactly, you know, what they're going through and how to make this lifestyle work. Um, but no, I, I, I didn't have the luxury of, of, of uh, jumping into the lifestyle quite yet. I was a sophomore at the time at the University of Texas at Austin. Austin, uh, I was on a swimming scholarship there. And so I was eating at the athletic training table with the football players, yeah. the basketball players, the tennis players. And um, the menu there was not at all plant oh strong. Yeah. No, no. It was, um, you know, it was chicken fried steak. It was burgers. Uh, it was spare ribs. It was, you know, grilled cheese sandwiches, uh, all the soft serve ice cream that you could possibly want. Apple pies, pecan pies. Um, uh, I mean, everything was dripping in, you know, oil and Crisco and grease, but we didn't know any better back then. And so it wasn't until I graduated from the University of Texas at Austin in, in actually December of 1986 that I launched into this lifestyle. So I, I, I say I started in January of 2000 and I'm sorry, January of 1987. Okay. Yeah definitely relate to the university aspect of like when you're, when you're younger and playing sports, you're just thinking of calories. Let me just eat whatever I can. Cause I can't eat whatever I can. And I'm just going to burn through it and it, it won't affect me. Um, and so were you still swimming competitively at that point when you transitioned, were you still like very much into the athletics or was that kind of like a pause in your athletic journey? Um, so I graduated in four and a half years. And so I had a six month pause in my athletic kind of uh, career um, from, let's see. Uh, yeah. So I graduated in May or I, I, I stopped competing really in, in May of, of uh, 1986. And I didn't start competing again in a new sport, which was triathlons until January of 1987. And so that's when I actually, when I started eating this way is when I started my new kind of what would become my new career path with, uh, with triathlons in, uh, in early 1987. And so I'm curious, was there any fear in transitioning? Because uh, back then there's even less proof of athletes being playing strong compared to today. Was there any fear in potentially losing some athleticism, losing some muscle mass, some stamina? Because there was the the whole belief of protein and recovery is strong today, so it must have been even stronger back then. Yeah, you know, uh, I I didn't have much to go by um, other than uh, there was a guy named uh, Dave Scott who had won the six the the Hawaii Ironman triathlon six times, and because I was just getting into the sport, I mean, I was. I wasn't any good in the beginning. I mean, that's not true. I was good, but I was an age group triathlete for the first, um, for my first probably 15 races. And, um, and the way it works is once you get a top 10 overall in three different races, you then are eligible to get your pro card to become a pro. And so I, my first professional race ever was uh, uh, the Chicago International Triathlon 
in um, August of 1987. Remember, I started in January of 1987. So in August, I competed in my first professional race. And I ended up getting uh, ninth place out of 4,000 competitors and it, oh. earning, a, earning, earning a, uh, a check for 900 bucks. And I was over the moon and excited. But along this journey, you know, I would read, read gobble up everything that I could. And remember, back then there was no internet. So yeah. you, you didn't have the luxury of kind of, you know, putting in, you know, how do I feel myself for a, you know, a, a triathlon? And so I was reading all the triathlete magazines that were out there and inside triathlon. And uh, this guy, Dave Scott, just kept, kept popping up. And he was like this really hardcore vegetarian, so hardcore that, you know, he when he would have cottage cheese, he would rinse it off first in the sink to get all the excessive fat off of it. Mm -hmm. But I figured, listen, if this is if this is really good for my father's heart patients, and for the most part, it's good enough for the number one endurance triathlete on the planet, then it's got to work for me. And uh, for the most part, I never had any, um, you know, I, I never had any issues as far as um, energy. I mean, if anything, you know, I recovered, I recovered incredibly well. I, I found my ideal weight. You know, I'd say the one challenge for me was, especially when I started the couple times that I trained for an Ironman is, um, you know, eating almost became a, uh, a fourth sport, uh, <laughs> training for a fourth sport, right. Just to keep up the calorie consumption. And I didn't, I wasn't a fan of drinking a lot of my calories back then. Um, and I'm still not for health reasons, but I think for athletes that are consuming, you know, crazy amounts of calories, there's a time and a place for, for it. You know, no yeah. doubt about it. Um, but um, yeah, so you're right. Going back to your original question, there was um, there was not a uh, a blueprint for you know a a plant based athlete back in the uh, late 1980s. Yeah, you you were building the resources as you were basically progressing along. Yes, yeah. very much so. Yeah, were you even born then? <laughs> what what year? What what year were you born? Ninety three. Yeah. You weren't born. Yeah, yeah. You were, you were, you weren't born for, I mean, yeah, you were up on that star waiting to slide down for six years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, you basically, you were building a resource. I, I'm curious what, what distance did you compete in? Cause I've competed quite a bit in, in triathlon and Ironman as well. Yeah. <clears throat> so my specialty was the Olympic distance. So it was the international distance, which was a 1.5 K swim, 40 K bike, and then a, and then a 10 K run. Yeah. Yeah. Those are fun races. Um, They're fun races. I mean, you know, it was, uh, you know, I, I think my best time at that distance was like a, an hour 47 and an hour 48. And, um, you know, you're basically, you're redlining it almost the whole time, um, oh yeah. compared heart, to a, a half Ironman or an Ironman. Yeah. Yeah. Heart rate is high the whole way through. There's, there's no break. Even your transitions, you're rushing. Oh, oh, it's yeah, it is. It is bloody intense. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, I'm curious, like there's a lot of triathletes that follow me because I wasn't at sport for a very long time. What did your nutrition look like throughout the years that you were competing? Like, was there a, an emphasis on protein? Was there an emphasis on like uh, having an awareness or a tracking of your calories to make sure you fueled yourself enough? Like what was in your head every time you were eating to make sure that you had what you needed? You know what? The only thing that I, I did to track, to make sure that I was getting enough of everything I needed was just, I tracked my weight. 
And I've okay. never, I've never been kind of a gadgety gimmicky kind of guy. So I've, I don't have any apps. I don't wear any rings to track, you know, my sleep and you know, what's uh, how many hours am I getting of the, the deep sleep and, and all that stuff. I don't count my steps during the day. I don't count my calories. I've, uh, I don't do any of that stuff. And, uh, so I would always just, <clears throat> I'd eat until I was, you know, felt full and I would eat copious amounts of, you know, like oats and beans and whole intact grains and all kinds of, you know, leafy greens and squashes and potatoes, you know, sweet potatoes, like they were going out of style. Um, casseroles, rice and beans. Um, I would probably have my Rips Big Bowl cereal, which is a combination of, of extra thick Bob's Red Mill oats, uh, bite-sized shredded wheat. Uh, back in the day, it was the Uncle Sam's wheat flakes I would use. And then also um, uh, Ezekiel 4-9 nuggets or grape nuts. And I would take a combination of all those packages, put them in a big container, and I would have that with some sort of a plant-based milk, uh, a couple pieces of fruit, um, and some seeds and nuts twice a day, like a big honking bowl of that yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. And so to me, I mean, it was nothing special. It was just, I was eating whole food plant-based and making sure my weight was right between 168 and 172. And then I knew I was golden. There was a period there when I first started and I was training really, really hard and I wasn't, I wasn't eating and I got down to 159. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a yeah, significant difference. Uh, 159 and I'm, you know, I'm a sliver short of six, two. Um, so, and I, my body fat was probably down at, you know, 3%. I was lean. Yeah. Yeah. And I was running really, really well, but, um, power wasn't, on the I, bike, power on the bike. Definitely. Um, you know, wasn't quite there as much. So my, I loved how I felt and how I performed at between 168 and 172. That was my sweet spot. Um, but I'll just go back to, you know, you look at, and, and I maybe keep in mind, you know, I did, I, I was a full-time triathlete from 1987 until 1997. And then I, continued to compete at a world-class level in the Xterra triathlons yeah. until 2005. And when I was a firefighter, I still, you know, trained because on my off days, that's what I would do. Um, but that was a long time ago in, in, you know, in retrospect, you know, so 2005 is when I kind of stopped training full-time. That's almost what, 16, 17 years ago. Yeah. So I'm sure there's probably a, could be a lot of advances that have been made in, you know, tracking different things, but I never tracked, uh, how many, you know, how many grams of protein am I consuming? I mean, one day I probably like, just like figured it out. And I was like, Oh man, I'm, I'm like 95, a hundred I'm, I'm golden, you know? And that wasn't even a big eating day. Um, but you look at like, for example, some of the best endurance athletes on the planet, like the Tarahumara Indians, you know, they're not following an app, right? They're yeah. just eating, they're eating, you know, corn and berries and grains and, you know, they, and, 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 uh, corn tortillas. I mean, they keep it drop dead simple. So that, that, that to me very much suited my personality 
was just keeping it, keeping it simple. Um, you know, I wasn't, I didn't do a lot of the heart rate monitor training and, and stuff like that. Um, oh, the zone two training. <laughs> I was, I was much more about the feel, you know, yeah. the feel I trying to, trying to really tune into my body, uh, and, um, and listen to it. Yeah. Which I think there is something to that, right? It's basically referring to kind of like what people will now call intuitive eating, right? Just being yeah. more in tune with your body. Like I do have the O-ring and I do have these things and yeah, there is a kind of a dependency of like, how do I feel today? And then you look at the metric of like, oh, this is how I feel today. And so <laughs> right. yeah. being able to take breaks from it and, or to, you know, not wear it, there's a lot of benefit to that and being able to go back to being in tune with your body. Cause I feel like as we progress with tech, we get more disconnected because it's yeah. like, am I hungry? Well, let me let, let's see if the app tells me if I'm hungry. Did I sleep well? Should I feel good today? Let me see if the app tells me if I feel good today. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. But like back, back when I was doing the sport, um, you know, we didn't really have, or I never got it, especially I could have towards the tail end when I was still a firefighter, but like, you know, how many Watts am I pushing and yeah. you know, wattage and things like that. You know, that wasn't even a thing back for me in the eighties and the nineties. Um, but I could see the merit to that and understanding that and, you know, how fluid is your pedal stroke and what kind of, you know, Watts and, and, and amps can you push, um, to where you're just maximizing your efficiency. And, yeah. and, you know, I, there was nothing I love more than that easy speed, right. Whether it was in this, in the pool, on the bike or in the run where you felt like you were flying yet floating at the same time. It's almost like an outer body experience where, you know, you're like, oh my God, I can do whatever I want today. This is like, and that's kind of almost what you kept, I kept chasing after was the, you know, that, that riddle of how can I put together the best swim, bike and run ever and, uh, and have them have it be that easy kind of relaxed speed. And it was very elusive. <laughs> And it's really a beautiful feeling to be in the pool and to just be gliding and be in the zone. Like every stroke, you can feel the water and you're just gliding through and it's effortless. Yeah. Swimming was my, my favorite one for that. Just gravity's gone. You're just gliding through. Um, so yeah, really happy we chatted about triathlon because it's such a, a big part of my life. And I was curious as to how you did it before like the, the, yeah. the, the wattage pedals were out before the bike computers and, and the Garmin and, um, yeah, I think there's merit to, to intuitive eating. It's definitely something that I feel like more people are going back to because it just makes it more fun and it's less stressful from, from a data mm -hmm. perspective. Um, I love to chat about the, the transition that people go through when they go from whatever diet they're eating right now to eating more plant-based. Um, you've helped probably thousands of thousands of people at this point. And so I, I'm curious as to, I want to explore the positive and negative. Like what are the biggest limiting factors that you see preventing people from making the switch before we dive into like action plans? Mm -hmm. Well, probably the biggest limiting factors are their pre preconceived notions of what it means to, you know, go to go plant-based to go whole food plant-based. Um, and then, you know, once you can take down those barriers it's the limiting factors is, are probably people's family, friends, and coworkers. 
that uh, are, are 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 putting something else in their ears like you know what what are you doing that crazy thing for and you know obviously we've all heard it a jillion times where, where you get your protein and uh you know i i heard about a guy that you know went plant-based and you know this happened to him so i think it's kind of trying to bifurcate out all the all the misinformation and the noise that's out there about it is i would say that's like the the number one limiting factor you know i i work when i do my retreats um especially our live retreats uh we have one in sedona arizona and we have one in black mountain north carolina people are hungry you know we we don't have to twist somebody's arm about the lifestyle typically they're they're either beginning it or they're veterans and they're just looking for a, a major tune-up yeah. um and uh and they they need they need a little bit of uh they need support they want to be surrounded by people that are also after the same thing that they are and um and we just have an absolute blast so i'm not again so in that setting i'm not having to you know twist anybody's arms now listen i spent you know 12 years as a firefighter in the most unfriendly environment ever for somebody that's eating plant-based you know you should if you could only be the fly on my shoulder when i walked into fire station one as a rookie and these these veteran firefighters said that the last and they, you know, I don't think even if they knew what a vegan was, right? And I didn't even use that term. I think I said, you know, plant-based, but they were like, yeah, the last vegetarian that came through here didn't even last three shifts, right? And and so much of that culture is around eating with the gang mm -hmm. and contributing, whether it's, you know, um, cooking, shopping, uh, putting in funds, uh, at the end of the meal so that everybody's square. And, um, and so that was, that was tough, but I was 34 when I joined the, uh, the Austin fire department. And yeah. so I, I did not, I wasn't going to succumb to the pressure. Like there's some other guys that they would cut, they would do a rotation through fire station two, and they got to see how we were eating as a fire station. Um, and then they would go out to another station and they'd say, Rip, the pressure is just too much. I just want to get along. I don't, I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be a sore thumb. So I'm, I'm just doing whatever these guys are doing. And I'm like, Hey, you know, that's fine. You don't have to like justify it to me, but, but, um, I have gotten in many, many, I've learned, you know, I mean, I was in so many different shouting matches with, you know, these, these morons about, you know, <laughs> what's healthy, what's not healthy, you know, and I say morons in a very, very loving sense, because I ultimately loved all these, these people that I worked with, but, you know, we could all, things could get very heated. Um, yeah. So, so it's, I think the, so I'm kind of coming back around to your original question. I think the most limiting thing especially for men is this whole notion that real men eat meat. And that is such a crock of crap. And the reality is, is that 
real men. They do their research. They don't go with the, um, they don't, you know, go with the crowd and they do the right thing by themselves and their families and, and the planet and to be kinder, more compassionate, um, you know, men. And so I always like to say that real men eat plants. You, you know, you brought up when we started this conversation, forks over knives, right? I have that iconic scene where I'm climbing the fire pole without my legs saying real men eat plants. And to me, it is so absolutely true. And there's, I love it when I'm like, for example, out to dinner with somebody and they are trying to figure out what to do. And they just say, you know what, I'm going to have what you're having rip because I totally, you know, I trust that, you know, exactly what you're doing. And these are people typically that, have, that, you know, they're, they're carnivores, they're, they're meat eaters. And, uh, and so I, I really appreciate and applaud somebody that's that open-minded that instead of putting a stake in the ground and doing just the opposite of what I do, right. Yeah. They're like, you know what, let me give that a whirl and I'll have exactly what you're having. Just order two of those. Um, so the limiting factor to me is the, the preconceived notions about what it means to be a man. Most women, they get it right. Most yeah. women are, they, you know, they don't have to impress anybody. Their, their egos are, are good. Yeah. Which is interesting. Cause I actually had it on my list of questions for you because you transition at a time where, where eating plant-based wasn't what it is today, where it's a little bit more, I would say socially acceptable now and being yeah. an environment of, of athletes and firefighters is very masculine, strong energy. And to be the guy that's like, Hey, I'm doing this and I'm not eating a piece of steak or chicken tonight to like fuel my body. I was curious as to how you dealt with that, but you brought up a good point in when you're sitting at the dinner table with them, they're also outside of the environment of having other multiple men that are there putting peer pressure. And I find that most men, I come from the bodybuilding powerlifting world. I used to be 240 pounds. Like you ate like steak for breakfast, a dozen eggs for breakfast. Like that's what I used to do. If you grab those people one-on-one, -on -one, they're more than open to yeah. listening and receiving. It's just, if there's other guys around, it's game over. Cause then peer pressure comes in and they're like, oh, I'm not going to try this thing. I'm not going to try this, this tofu scramble. Um, but yeah, one-on-one, -on -one, they're more than receptive. Very, very much so. And a lot of times what would happen is, um, especially in the beginning, before we had our whole station on the sea shift go go plant-based, is um, the guys after after a big old meal, you know, they'd be eating their whatever, and I'd be eating my you know rice and beans or um, my cheeseless pizza. They'd pull me aside and then ask me questions and tell tell me about their high cholesterol or you know, the incidence of heart disease that runs in their family or diabetes. So, um, and then, and then it was like, once they come to you, it's like, Hey, you, you know, you knew that was a great yeah. spot to be in. Um, but no, that's a good point you bring up. Yeah. You, you definitely got to pick your time and your place to try and, um, and sell the lifestyle. Yeah, definitely. I feel like for women, like you mentioned, it's a little bit of an easier transition. If there are a group of them, there there won't be that that pressure. But men, it's a tough one. If if you're at a restaurant with like ten of them, like it's game over. One's gonna say something, and everyone's gonna chime in, and then uh, it it makes it harder to yeah. not say prove your point, but say what you have to say. Yeah, and 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 
you know, the truth of the matter is every one of those situations has to be dealt with in a very nuanced and kind of cagey way, depending upon, you got to read the situation. You got to read the, the players that are around the table. And then you decide, am I going to go for it? And like, yeah. really like disrupt everything that's going on here and see how many guys here I can like sway and I'm going to be swinging, right? I mean, we're going to be getting into it. Or do you decide, you know what? This isn't the time or the place. This isn't, yeah. you know, the group, this guy's, uh, he's loud and obnoxious. This guy's this. So, you know, all those things have to be done on the fly as your mind is calculating every little possible, you know, calculation based upon personalities and, um, and all the cues that are coming to you. I, yeah. And I think it comes with experience. Um, cause when you first go vegan, you will fight every fight, every chance you have. And as you progress in your vegan journey, you're like, I'm gonna pick my battle today. This is, I'm not in a good spot for me to take this on. I'll just wait till another time. Yeah. And, um, and I'm, you know, and I'm very careful too about using the term vegan, you know, again, you know, are you saying plant-based? Are you saying plant strong? Are you saying, you know, Hey, you know, just like lean into this a little bit more again, all, all that too is, is something that I take into consideration depending upon, you know, who the audience is. Yeah. Plant-based is definitely softer. Vegan has that activism component to it, which yeah. some people have more resistance to. Um, yeah. 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 But it's interesting to me how my slant on that has kind of changed a little bit more the longer that I've been doing this. And I now, you know, when I, when I first started doing this, it was really for performance reasons, mm -hmm. right? It wasn't for health reasons. It wasn't for weight reasons. It was, I want to be the best triathlete that I possibly can. And I believe I can do that fueling myself with whole plants. And then as I've been going down this path on my journey, and as I have gotten older, as I've you know gotten married and had kids, I realize, and as the world has gotten more and more polluted with, you know, the climate crisis, um, I realize that, you know, that term vegan, it's very powerful. And, and there is definitely some, some very strong merit mm -hmm. to the word and all that, all that it carries with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And as time progresses, yeah, it is getting, gaining that much more power. Yeah. Um, I was listening to one of your Ted talks you had in, in Austin. Um, and I know you haven't, how, how long has it been since you've stopped being a firefighter? It's been a while, right? Well, I retired in uh, September of 2009. Okay. So I think the talk was in 2010 and you shared one of the stats that, um, you know, you're looking at a house on fire and you thought that's all you're going to do when you're a firefighter, but like 80% of the calls were caused by a fork and a knife. And did you think that that, did you think that that helped for the firefighters that you were working with? to kind of make the connection that something has to change. And I'm curious if you think that that has changed in society since veganism has gained more popularity as you progress. Um, 
Yeah. So just to kind of go back to the, your, to your question and then kind of reflect on it at the same time. So yes, the vast majority of our calls as firefighters uh, were medical calls. And so, you know, we're, we were all either, we're all emergency first responders, but we're also, we're basic EMT. Some of us were um, intermediate EMTs and, and there were some that were paramedics. Um, but I, I'll tell you that 95% of the medical calls that we made only required basically basic EMT level stuff. We didn't have to intubate for the most part, you know, give, give drugs, um, you know, deliver Narcan to, um, a heroin overdose or something like that. We would wait, wait for the paramedics to come, um, EMS, emergency medical, medical services. Um, but yes, it, it was, here's the thing. You have to have the correct goggles on in order to see what you want to see. So, yeah, we saw heart attacks and we saw, you know, people that were breathless and pulseless that we needed to thump their chest and try and bring them back to life. We saw people as young as 17 and, you know, as old as in their 70s that basically were in a diabetic coma because their blood sugar levels had gotten too low and they they needed um basically a, a shot uh, of to bring them back to life if they didn't have a gag reflex. If they had, a, if they, if they, I'm sorry, if they had a gag reflex, if they didn't have a gag reflex, we could give them oral glucose and they, we could bring them back within a matter of minutes. Um, but seeing the diabetics, seeing the cardiovascular disease, seeing the strokes, seeing the Alzheimer's, seeing, you know, with every patient, we always do a, a history. We say like, well, so what meds are you on? You know, what, have you had any prior history of, you know, anything? And then we hear all about, yeah, I've had, you know, breast cancer. I've had uh, two heart attacks before. Uh, I'm on this med, this med, this med, and this med, right? A cocktail of medications. Because I lived the lifestyle and I was like, oh my God, all this is lifestyle created. It's because, as you said, they're basically burying themselves with the, the the spoon, the knife, and the fork. But if I if I'm not looking for that, and I just see somebody with heart disease, somebody with diabetes, I'm not making the connection. Yeah. So I don't think most firefighters, most EMS people, are thinking, "Wow, this is because of the standard American diet." They're just thinking, "Okay, here's a patient with diabetes. What do we got to do to you know help them out right now?" You know, here here's a person that has had a heart attack, what do we got to do to try and bring him back to life? Right. Um, so now the guys at my station, because we, we went all in and we started to do this and we talked about it. It was like, wow, can you believe that guy driving that car went into a diabetic, you know, coma and went into that field and into that, you know, telephone pole, like, wow, did you see the, the size of him, right? It's probably because he's got diabetes, which is the combination between diabetes and obesity, right? Yeah. So um, to me, it was absolutely self-evident, but I think for a lot of firefighters and EMS, not so, not so much. Yeah. And I, yeah. And, yeah. And there was a second part to your question and I, I, I don't remember what it was now. 
Uh, well, I was going to say, like, I agree, like the lens through which you're looking at it would make a significant difference. The other one was, do you think the number is lower now as we've progressed into plant-based getting more popularity throughout the years? Do I think what number is lower? Uh, for like, uh, like cancer and, and like all the incidents that would be lifestyle related. I would, I would say probably not. Okay. I, th I, I, I think, I think, you know, we, we probably have somewhere between five to 7% of the population that now is kind of considered vegan, vegetarian, um, plant-based and, I don't think that's enough to move the needle uh, on the number of emergency medical calls that we're making as firefighters. I, I bet you it's still 80% of the call volume is, you know, um, difficulty breathing, diabetic emergencies, lifting assistance, uh, you know, people that have had a stroke, uh, high blood pressures, uh, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, we have more work to do, Rip. Oh, I mean, yeah, we yeah. got more work to do. I mean, we're definitely helping, helping people, but I just, I think that you have such a, pre, a preponderance of, um, the pleasure trap that's going on with so many people that don't understand why they're so highly chasing after these hyper palatable foods, um, yeah. that, there's a, there's a lot of educating to be done here. Um, and it can't happen fast enough. Yeah, definitely. The, the there's a lack of connection between how people feel and, and, and what they're eating. And you brought up palatable foods. Um, one thing I've heard you talk about often is environment. And I, I've talked often with, with Adam Sud on, on several shows, like having the proper environment around you to allow you to be successful with this lifestyle. So what, what does environment look like to you when, when you mention it? Like what should people be looking for to create for themselves? Well, it's a great question. And, you know, you, if it's in the house, it's going to end up in your mouth. And so you want to do everything you can to make sure that you've got an environment um, at home that makes this whole lifestyle and your success around this lifestyle, not about willpower. So if, you know, people that have a big challenge is a house divided where you have a husband or a wife that wants to do this lifestyle, but the other one doesn't. And so yeah. then in your house, you've got the cheese and the butter and the eggs and, you know, the potato chips and the Oreos and all that stuff. So I would say just, you know, keep it drop dead simple and don't have any of that. I'm going to call it contraband yeah. lurking in the fridge or in the cupboards or in the pantry. And then the only decisions that you that you can make are the healthy ones. And, you know, and Dan Buettner with the Blue Zones, you know, I think has shown that, you know, make the easy choice, the healthy choice. And so what I would recommend is, you know, have those those melons and have that fruit and the watermelon and the cantaloupe and all those things. Like you get home, take 10 minutes and like cut them up and put them in different Tupperware container, containers so it's easily accessible. And yeah. uh, it's kind of like, you know, this architecture that you want to create in your life, in your home, that makes the easy choice the healthy choice. Um, and, um, you know, and, and do the batch cooking on the weekend so you have, you know, everything you need for the week with, 
you know, the beans and the whole grains or the brown rice or the potatoes, or, you know, what I do at my house is on Sundays, we, it's waffle. It's, it's always waffle morning or, 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 or pancake morning on Sundays. And I will make 30 or 40 and then we freeze them. And, you know, we, we have them for the, for the week when the kids just want to pop something in the toaster oven, they got that, that waffle or they got the pancakes or, or whatever. Um, so a yeah. nice, clean, wholesome environment at home. And so I have a question for you in that, because I, you know, I've coached over, we're over 500 members that we've helped transform at this point. Nice. It's very, it's very common to see like one partner is vegan. The other that is just not on board with the lifestyle or even a healthy lifestyle for that matter. A lot of the reasons that come up as to like why they can't have the environment that they want to one would be partner, but second is like, well, I have snacks for the kids in the covers. Um, I, I know what I tell them, but I'm curious to hear on, on, on your end, what, how you would deal with that scenario. Uh, well, that, that's interesting. Cause I have kids, I have three kids that are eight, uh, eight, 12 and 15. And, um, and we do have some snacks in the, in the pantry that I don't eat. I don't even think about ever touching it. And, you know, sometimes, um, we have the, um, like fried chips, for the kids, right? Or um, some of these these seaweed like things that you eat, and you know the third ingredient is oil. Um, yeah. There is um, sometimes there's the uh, the Smart Pop popcorn or something like that um, that's just basically junk. And uh, but you know my kids are so they eat so fantastically well that. I'm okay with having a little bit of that stuff in the pantry. Um, and, um, and, you know, my wife will go out and she'll sometimes get, you know, the, the vegan brownies or the vegan cookies, uh, for the kids. Um, I don't go there, uh, because for me, if I, and not with the snacks, I've never been a salty guy, so I don't like salty stuff, but with the, like the brownies and the cookies, I know if I have a bite, I will have the whole thing. And so I just yeah, don't have yeah. that. I just don't have that one bite. And I'm at a point now where I've been doing this for, you know, I, I have been doing this for what, gosh, almost 35 years to where I've got pretty darn good self-control and yeah. I don't even call it self-control anymore. It's just like, it'd be like me, somebody at a, I'm out at a party and somebody offering me like a cigarette and I'm like, <laughs> you know, no, no, thanks. I don't smoke or, or, or alcohol. It's like, no, thanks. You know what? I don't, I don't do alcohol. It's like, no, thanks. I don't, I don't do, you know, the, the, the vegan, the vegan brownies. So, um, I know that's kind of a, a long winded answer to, um, yeah, you gotta, you gotta find, if you have kids, you want to definitely figure it out. I mean, I, if, what I tell people a lot of times is depending upon if your kids see my kids are so athletic, it's crazy. Right. So they are lean, mean fighting machines. But if I had a kid that wasn't working out, you know, and he was 30, 40, 50 pounds overweight, I wouldn't have that stuff in the house. I would only have clean, wholesome food. Like, Hey, you want to eat something for a snack? Here's the banana. Here's an orange. Here's the apples. And my kids, they devour all that stuff up. 
right? Yeah. Or, or like, um, you know, here's, here's a sliced up watermelon. Here's frozen grapes. Here's a, here's a cantaloupe with, you know, squeeze a bunch of lime and lemon juice over it. That really like helps, uh, helps it out. Um, here's some really clean, you know, wasa crackers, put some, a little bit of, you know, spread of, uh, peanut butter on it or, or almond butter or sunflower seed butter on it. Um, so there's, that's typically what we, you know, what we do most of the time. Yeah. But I wanted to be honest, but I wanted to be honest and say that our house, I mean, we're pure when it comes to being like plant strong, but we have some of the vegan junk food in there. Yeah. I feel like most household will have to have to a certain extent. And I think ultimately the kids are just going to eat whatever is in the house. Like you're hungry, you eat what's there. You're not going to starve. Right. So if it's healthy options then it's healthy options that that are going to be eaten. Yeah, totally. Um, one thing I want to ask you, because I know where you you have to go soon. Um, what is the next big project that you're working on at this time? Well, um, so I don't know if you know or not, but I spent 10 years. So I retired from firefighting in 2009. And then in late 2009, I became a healthy eating ambassador slash partner with Whole Food Market Stores. And so I um, I basically um, went around to almost all the Whole Food Market Stores and I talked to team members. I talked to, um, I talked to customers about all the advantages to eating a whole food plant-based diet. I threw medical immersion programs for whole food sickest team members. Uh, we, uh, we did a food line that was exclusive to whole foods called engine Two plant strong. And so that was a 10 year contract that I had with whole foods. That contract, um, ended in January of 2020. And so I have since continued the events. So I still have my event, my major events. I've got my two, I call them now retreats instead of medical immersions, but we have our retreats. The one in Sedona I was talking about, we have, and we have one coming up, uh, October 10th to the 15th. And then we have one in April in black mountain, North Carolina. And then we also have our annual plant stock event Mm -hmm. that is, we say it's, you know, all the Brock stars of the plant-based movement, and uh, that is now a virtual event. The other two are live. So I got the event side of the business. But the thing that I'm really like spending most of my time with now is um, the food line. So we now have, we've pivoted and we're not called Engine 2 anymore. We're called Plant Strong. And we've got, right now we've got 18 different products and we've got chilies and stews and we've got um, broths. We've got whole grain pizza crust kits. Um, we've got cereals, granolas, very, very clean popcorn. So we have all that stuff. And we, we're in grocery stores. Right now we're in 26 different retailers and 2,300 different doors. So we're in yeah. Sprouts and Whole Foods and a bunch of different banners of Kroger um, and uh a, a bunch of public stores and all almost all the natural uh little uh, mom and pop uh, grocery stores and then we also do e-commerce so direct to consu- direct to consumer which has really taken off um and people now they understand that and they like the convenience of it 
So that is that has been very, very intense and rigorous building that business. You know, I've got a whole team now of, of, of people that are making that thing come to life. And, you know, I would, I love bringing nutritious, delicious, convenient food to people that are trying to go on this journey, people that are on this journey and they are looking for food that, wow, you mean, I don't have to read the label. I can basically like know blindfolded that this is fantastic when it comes to sodium, little to no added sugars, 100% whole grain, 100% plant-based, non-GMO, almost all of our stuff, not all of it, but almost all of it is organic and, um, and no added oils, which is a, one of our big tenants, right? We, yeah. we don't want, we don't want people consuming uh, a lot of processed and refined oils because it is such a black hole of nutritional nothingness. And inflammation that comes with it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so much. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Inflammation and you know, the ratio of omega sixes to omega threes in this country is so absolutely unhealthy right now. Yeah. We could go on and on and on about that. Yeah, absolutely. But, well, I'll, yeah. I'll put, I'll yeah, put the links yeah. to everyone um, for everything down below. So everyone can kind of check it out. Um, I'll definitely order some of the food. I just relocated back to Canada. Um, so I'm sure you guys ship in Canada too. We do the, you know, the unfortunate, okay. the, the unfortunate thing in Canada is the shipping rates aren't as nearly as favorable. Yeah, um, right. and, and, and so, you know, in the States, it's like super reasonable, like, you know, eight to 12 bucks, but in Canada, it's like four or five X that. So it's not at all reasonable, but, um, that's all right. Yeah. I'll still order some majority of our <laughs> listeners in the United States, so they can order it and, and get really cheap shipping. Um, Rip, I just want to say, I know you have to, to go soon, but I'll say a massive thank you for taking the time to jump on the show, share your story, provide some value. Um, and I was very excited to hear about like, you know, your triathlon journey and athletic journey yeah. and how that transition was. Uh, cause I've never really heard you talk too much about that. It was always about the benefits of plan base and we all know that we talked about it, but I was curious about your journey. Yeah, no, that was fun. It was, uh, it was a nice little walk down memory lane, uh, talking about the triathlons because it was such a massive part of my life for really almost 20 years. Yeah. You know, when I think about when I started in 1987 and then when I, when I departed in really 2005. Yeah. So yeah. Th yeah thanks for the conversation. Yeah, same here. And uh, everyone, massive thank you for listening to the show. Again, I'll put all the links in the show notes if you want to check out for, for the food line, all of Rip's platforms, obviously his podcast. He has an amazing show. Um, and everyone, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to support, please share it with others that would benefit from it. Share it on social media and be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at Maxim underscore official and on YouTube at FitVegan. The links will also be in the show notes. I'll see you in the next episode.